You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. When I was in high school, and I don't know about any of you, but when I was in high school, I had a teacher in one of my uh, English classes, um, and he was enamored. I mean, he was obsessed with Shakespeare. And as a result, we had to read a lot of William Shakespeare's plays. Uh, And I just have to be honest, I was either too dumb or too lazy to really understand uh, Shakespeare, but regardless of the reason uh, for that, I just never really got into it. I never really understood it. I never really appreciated Shakespeare much in high school. Now, whether you like it or not, whether you like Shakespeare or not, most of us are probably at least familiar with uh, the work of uh, Macbeth, which was one of uh, Shakespeare's famous uh, plays. In this play, Macbeth is spurred on by his wife, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it, he's spurred on by his wife uh, to murder King Duncan and to seize the throne. Now, after he commits the murder, she takes the blood uh, and and, uh, of the king, and she smears it on the sleeping guards to, to kind of implicate them in the murder. Now, later on, the plot kind of uh, focuses like a laser beam on Lady Macbeth. And night after night, she is just walking uh, in her sleep, just walking, and she's just pacing the floors, and she keeps pleading these very, very famous words, out, damned spot, out, I say, one, two, here's the smell of blood still, and all the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Oh, 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 that's as deep as I go in Shakespeare. (laughs) Now, again, what, what Lady Macbeth really is kind of experiencing there and what she's suffering from is really kind of a very common illness uh, that we've all experienced before, and that is guilt. It's regret. Uh, it's this sense of I've done something uh, and I don't know what to do. I, I, I've done something so bad, I don't know how to be released from this. And, and the reason why uh, there, there's no way out of that is because, again, we, we, we fail to rightly determine the cause and, and what is happening um, in that. And, and the cause of all guilt, of of shame, of condemnation is sin. Sin is the wound. Guilt is the infection. And there's only one cure for guilt and shame and condemnation. And, And it's something the best surgeons, the best psychologists, the best counselors, the best advisors, the best medicine in all of the world cannot touch this. There's only one cure for sin, and that is forgiveness. And there is only one source of true forgiveness, and that is God himself. 
It's one of those things that I think is important to preach on because that, that need for forgiveness is something that we're gonna run into throughout our lives. Whether we need forgiveness from God or whether we need forgiveness from God and from other people, that, that area, that, that attribute of forgiveness, it's something that we are gonna have to learn uh, to incorporate often, almost daily in our walk, in our relationship with God and with each other. And that's why, again, it's so important to touch on this subject because there's so many of us that are walking wounded in life because we don't know how to receive God's forgiveness. We don't know how to extend God's forgiveness. And really the way into a relationship with God and the way to maintain that relationship with God is there's no way to do that without understanding the concept, the need, and the principles of forgiveness. A famous psychiatrist once told Billy Graham that in his opinion, 70% of all people in mental institutions could be released immediately if they could receive forgiveness. If they could just feel forgiven for what they've done. He said about 70% of those people could walk out of there and live a normal, healthy life. Did you know that the government operates uh, what is called a conscience fund? I didn't realize this, but in 1811, a long time ago, Someone who had obviously kind of defrauded the government sent to them anonymously $5 to repay their debt. Government didn't know what to do with that. So they kind of created what they called a conscience fund. And since that time, 1811, three and a half million dollars has been received from guilt-ridden citizens. In 1986 alone, the Conscience Fund received a record 381,000 in guilt money. But rest assured, the government has got it all spent. <laughs> right? <laughs> So this morning, I just kind of want to talk about, again, this necessity, this need that we all have. We all share this, this need that we have to be forgiven. Because again, it, it, it's, it's, it's a cornerstone of our relationship with God and with um, each other. And so I want to just talk about three conditions and again, all of us um, have done things in our lives that, that we regret. And oftentimes, we kind of look at other people and say, yeah, they can be forgiven, but man, I, I've, just, I've done such bad things. I've done them for so long, so often. There's just no way that I could ever be forgiven. And that's just not true. And so this morning, I want to just talk about those three conditions that regardless of what your sin is this morning, no matter how deep or, or how repetitious that sin or sins are, I want to assure you that if you meet these three conditions, you can receive full pardon and forgiveness. You can receive a clean slate from God. The first condition I want to talk about this morning is we got to acknowledge the fact of our sin. We gotta understand that if we sin, we're sinners. There's no way to whitewash that. There's no way to sugarcoat that. We gotta acknowledge the fact of our sin. First John 1.8 says this to, to those of us who kinda wanna deny the reality of sin or deny that we're sinners. Here's what he said, if we claim we have no sin, 
We are only fooling, or some of your translations may say deceiving ourselves and not living in the truth. God is a God of truth. God lives, God dwells, God deals in truth. It is impossible for God to lie. So if we claim that we have no sin, we're just fooling ourselves. And we're not living in the truth. Again, two verses later, verse 10, it says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. And one of the greatest reasons why this world is filled with unforgiven people is because this world is filled with people who refuse to acknowledge the reality of their sin. Unfortunately, the very concept of sin has become a forbidden word in our culture today in a lot of churches and pulpits. I remember preaching a sermon um, on sin and I was doing this in, in a mainline denominational church uh, that I was serving many years ago before coming to praise. So I'm preaching this sermon on sin and following the sermon, a very prominent member and leader of that church came up to me and said, we stopped talking about sin a long time ago in this church. I recommend you do the same. You make yourself look awfully foolish when you talk like that. We are being bombarded from movies to television to media telling us there's no such thing as sin. You have nothing to worry about. There's an interesting verse in Proverbs 30, 20, and it says this, equally amazing is how an adulterous woman can satisfy her sexual appetite, shrug her shoulders, and then say, what is wrong with that? I call this the Hollywood hoax. Today, abortion, adultery, homosexuality, pedophilia, transgenderism, pornography, to just name a few, they're all being presented in our culture today as normal, natural, necessary, needed, and not wrong in any way whatsoever. And it's not just the world that has really creative ways of dealing with the reality of sin. I was recently reminded of this verse, and it was a verse that God just really brought great conviction to my heart on. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 10, where Paul writes, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow brings repentance, and that repentance leads to salvation, and it leaves no regret. How many of you would like to experience that? Yeah. But, he says, but worldly sorrow brings death. Now, Paul's talking about two different kinds of sorrow there, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And he said, one of those sorrows is gonna lead you to repentance, it's gonna lead you to salvation, it's gonna leave you with no regrets, while the other type of sorrow, worldly sorrow, is gonna lead to your destruction. And both of these sorrows we can experience. They can be found in the church. Now, godly sorrow focuses on God. When we sin, godly sorrow 
is when we realize first and foremost that what we have done, we have sinned against God, and in sinning against God, we have hurt the heart of God, and we have hindered our relationship with him. It's focusing on what I have done has affected God, it has hurt the heart of God, and it has hindered my relationship with him. Godly sorrow says, I have hurt the one I love and the one who loves me unconditionally. You may remember in Psalm 51 when David is, is confessing his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. David says in verse four, he says, against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Now there, again, is a great example. David is expressing godly sorrow in recognizing that his sin is first and foremost against God. Even though his sin of adultery, of murder, has devastated and affected others greatly, he realizes his sin is first and foremost against God and God alone. And it was in that godly sorrow that David expresses there in Psalm 51, that God leads him, God takes him to a place of repentance, of salvation, of forgiveness, of restoration. Now, there were consequences to that sin, and, and you can read about that uh, in the Bible. I mean, it, it caused great turmoil in David's house. Uh, you know, his son Absalom, you know, came against him. So there, were, there, were, there was fallout, there was consequences from that. But the way David approached that sin, it led to his salvation, to his freedom, to repentance, to, to again, restoration um, with God. So godly sorrow focuses on God, that my sin is first and foremost against God. I have hurt the one I love and the one who loves me unconditionally. Worldly sorrow focuses upon ourselves. When we sin, worldly sorrow expresses itself and we're concerned, how might this affect me? How is this gonna affect my job? How is this gonna affect my relationships with other people? Worldly sorrow will begin to ask questions like, what will other people think if they find out about this? You know, will I lose my job? Uh, you know, what is gonna be my spouse's reaction or my significant other if they were ever to find this out? Will I go to jail? Will my friends reject me? See, it's all focused inwardly. It's focused on me. Worldly sorrow is when we're more concerned about the effect, the fallout, the consequences it's gonna have on us and upon others instead of what it has done to God. And Paul says that kind of sorrow, worldly sorrow, it leads to death. In other words, it's not true repentance. And King Saul of the Old Testament, Judas of the New Testament are perfect biblical examples of worldly sorrow. So our concern when we sin must be that we are sinning against God first and foremost and him alone and we are hurting his heart. The secondary concerns must never take the place of that and the truth is, if you desire to have a relationship with God, I mean, once you come in to his presence, you come into the ultimate no-spin zone. 
okay? You can't spin sin. You can't say, oh, it all depends on what the meaning of is is, right? It doesn't get any clearer or plainer than verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. We must first acknowledge the fact that we are a sinner who has sinned against a holy, just God. That's the first condition. Admit, acknowledge the existence, the reality of sin. The second one is admit the fault of your sin. Now, the remedy for sin is not a good lawyer. It's not a cover-up, not a good excuse, not an alibi. It's not shifting the blame, passing the buck off to somebody else. The remedy for sin is good old-fashioned, tried and true confession, repentance. 1 John 1, 9 says, if, that's conditional, if we confess our sins, that's on us, that's our responsibility, that's our part in this equation. If we confess our sin, and then there's a condition that God says, once you do that, here's what I'm prepared to do. God is what? Faithful and just and will forgive us, our sins, doesn't say might, maybe, possibly. It says, no, he will forgive our sin. If we confess the sin is sin, that God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Man, this is, this is a great, a beautiful, and awesome promise. This is where a lot of people run into a lot of problems in dealing with their sin. It's one thing to acknowledge the fact that you have sinned. It's another thing entirely to admit the fault of sin. Yeah, I sin, and again, we want to just try to push that and to blame that on other people. Man, we got to say, man, when we sinned, it was me. It was all me. It was about me and nobody else. That word confess if we confess our sins, that word confess comes from the word homologio, and, it, and it's, it's the, where we get the English word um, the same. And the word logio means to say. So that word confess, it literally means to say the same thing. When you confess sin, you say about that sin what God has said about that sin. And the reason why this is so difficult for so many of us is because, in effect, when you are confessing your sins, you're testifying against yourself. Whether you realize it or not, when you confess your sin is sin, and you're naming that sin, and you're telling God what that sin is, you're testifying against yourself. I'm convinced that the Supreme Court could, they would outlaw the confession of sin as being unconstitutional for the Fifth Amendment says, no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. Quite frankly, that is the exact opposite of what you gotta do when you're dealing with sin, when you're dealing with God. If you're gonna confess your sin and get it right before God, you're gonna have to testify against yourself. You gotta be honest about what you've done. You gotta come clean before God. He already knows it. 
You've got to refuse to take the Fifth Amendment. How many of you recognize these words? You don't have to raise your hands. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. Do you understand these rights? If you've ever seen a TV show, uh, or, or maybe unfortunately you've personally had those words read to you, uh, you're familiar with what they call the Miranda warning or Miranda rights. And several years ago, the Supreme Court ruled that when anyone was arrested for a crime, a potential crime, they had to be read their rights. And until they had done so, they had the right to remain silent. When it comes to sin in your life, folks, when it comes to sin in my life, I don't have the right to remain silent. I can't take the Fifth Amendment. If we're gonna deal with sin and we're gonna deal with sin in a way that sin's gotta be dealt with and resolved in order for us to be able to move on, to be able to experience again that repentance, to be able to, to experience salvation, we gotta confess our sin and we gotta say it for what it is and I am convinced that for a lot of Christians living in spiritual defeat, it's mainly because they do not understand or they will not acknowledge the ways that God has set up, the ways that God has designed to deal with sin in our life. And again, there's only one way to deal with sin, and that is to confess it and confess it properly. There's only one type of sin that will ever defeat you as a Christian. One type of sin that will ever defeat you as a Christian, and that is unconfessed sin. There's only one type of sin, and if you're not a Christian, it's the one type of sin that'll keep you out of heaven, and that's the sin of refusing to recognize and acknowledge and confess that you are a sinner and you stand in need of God's forgiveness. Every one of you in this room that are a Christian that was the starting point. It, it, it's that first step into the kingdom of God. It's recognizing I am a sinner in need of a savior. And, and the beautiful thing is, is God has provided a way for us to receive full forgiveness. But again, confession, it's more than just admitting sin. You can admit sin without confessing that it is sin. When you truly confess sin, it means you have been convicted by that sin. You despise that sin. You, you hate what that sin is doing to God, what it's doing to you, what it's doing to others. You're ashamed of that sin and you're broken over that sin and you wanna turn away from that sin. One of the biggest problems in marriages, it's not caused by husbands and wives who fight. It's not caused by husbands and wives who verbally say things that are unkind. It's not even caused by husbands and wives mistreating each other. One of the biggest problems and obstacles in marriage is those same husbands and wives refuse to confess when they do wrong, when they say things they shouldn't say to their spouse, they won't confess it properly and ask for forgiveness. A proper confession is not, I'm sorry if I upset you. Terrible. 
A proper confession is, I should not have spoken those words to you. I should not have done those actions towards you. I should not have spoken to you in an unkind manner. I lost my temper. Will you forgive me? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to remember something. God hates sin, but he loves righteousness. God hates sin, and he hates it because of what it does to us. He hates it because of what it does to our relationship with each other. He hates it because of what it does to our relationship with him, but he loves righteousness. He loves kindness. He loves goodness. He loves mercy. God hates sin and loves righteousness, and because of that, he will teach us to do the same thing. One of the things you can ask God to do is, is, is ask God, and, and I'll pray this often, God, help me hate what you hate and love what you love. And he will teach us, and he'll lead us in ways where we will begin to hate what he hates and to love what he loves. Third condition is we gotta accept the forgiveness of our sin. So we acknowledge we're a sinner, we admit our sin, and the second thing is we just accept the forgiveness of our sin. This is probably one of the hardest things for me, is again, is just to forgive myself. It's not difficult for me oftentimes to forgive other people for things that they've done with me. What's hard for me, and maybe for some of you here this morning, again, it's just forgiving ourselves. But that's so important. And God says, you know what, if you'll do your part, if you'll confess it as sin, you don't whitewash it, you don't excuse it away. He says, I am faithful and just, and I will come, and I will forgive you, and I will, I'll clean the slate. I'll, I'll, I'll remove all of that sin. And again, if it's lust, you call it lust. If it's bitterness, you call it bitterness. If it's looking at pornography, you call it looking at pornography. If it's stealing, you call it stealing. If it's lying, you call it lying. You call it what it is, and you hate it for what it is. You despise it because, again, it's breaking, it's hurting the heart of God, and it's hindering our relationship. And once you properly confess your sin, here's what we read in John, uh, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Now we come to the real secret of why we can be forgiven of sin. And it's not because sin is not serious, it is. It's not because sin is not serious, but it's because God is so gracious. God is faithful and just. Even in our times of unfaithfulness, even in times when we are unjust, it never affects, it never alters, it never weakens God's faithfulness, and justness toward us. God is faithful and just. First of all, God is faithful to his word. God can never go back on his word. God will never contradict his word. Isaiah 55 verse seven says this, let the sinful turn from his way and the one who does not know God turn from his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have loving on him. Let him turn to our God for he will surely forgive all his sins. Now God has made a promise. He's put it in his word. 
It's kind of like he's written it in stone. He has sealed it with his own blood. And he said, here's the deal. Here's the package. When you acknowledge the fact of your sin, when you admit the fault of your sin, it opens you up. It sets you up to be able to accept and to receive the forgiveness of your sin. See, when you do your part, again, God does his. And when we confess our sin honestly and want forgiveness for our sins, God forgives. Now, again, that, that, he's, he's faithful. He's also just in his work. And because God is a God of justice, he just can't simply turn a blind eye to our sin. He can't just write it off. He can't pretend as if it never happened. He can't sweep it under the rug. God cannot let our sins, you know, just be bygones. Because again, God is a holy, he is a just, he is a righteous God. What would we think if a judge allows a criminal to go free even though he's been pronounced guilty? We would say, man, that judge has now become a criminal. How can God forgive us of our sin and still be just? I'll give you that answer in one word, Jesus. God is just in that he has to punish our sins. And how God punishes our sin was by punishing Jesus Christ for our sins in place of us. Paul writes this in Romans chapter three, and you can't, you can't put it more perfectly than this. Here's what he said, for God sent Jesus to take the punishment for my sin, for your sin, for our sins, past, present, future. That's the Greek term there. That's the Greek meaning of that word. God has sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. Because of Jesus, God's anger has been satisfied. God is not angry with you anymore. God is not angry with mankind because of sin. That was satisfied when Jesus died upon the cross and took the sins of, of the, the mankind, us, you, me, upon himself. Paul says we are made right with God. That's what righteousness is, is being in a right standing, a right relationship with God. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. That's why we celebrate communion every week here. It's a very important part of what the wine, the, the, the juice represents, the blood of Christ. And it was that blood that was spilt, that, that purchased, that guarantees our forgiveness of sin. And Paul says he is entirely fair and just in this present time when he declares sinners to be right in his sight because they believe in Jesus. Man, that's good news. That's beautiful news. When you take your sins to the cross of Jesus Christ, you know what happens? God must. It's no option. God has to forgive our sin. If God did not, 
he would not only be breaking his word, he would be dishonoring his son, Jesus. He would be dishonoring the work that Jesus accomplished upon the cross. And God cannot do either one because he is both faithful and just. That word faithful means every time. If a man is faithful to his wife 364 days a year, he is not faithful. He is only faithful if he is faithful all the time. Because God is a faithful God, he is faithful every day, every time. Every time you come to him, he must forgive you. Or otherwise he dishonors, he violates his word, and he dishonors and he violates his only begotten son and the price that he paid upon the cross for you and me. I think we get it, don't we? So this morning, again, just an opportunity. Um, for some of you, maybe this is uh, just needing to confess the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Maybe you've never done that. And maybe part of what has kind of prevented you from doing that is you kind of see your sin as kind of being unforgivable. Or, or maybe you kind of see the number of times you've done a particular sin that, you know, if I maybe would have done it two or three times, I could see it maybe being forgivable, but man, you don't know how many times I've done this particular sin, and, and just because of the volume of it, there's just no way God can forgive me. And, and here's the thing, your sin no matter how great, how big, how deep, how numerous that sin is, it is never, ever stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed at the cross for you and for me. It satisfies the anger, God's wrath against our sin but it also is so strong that it is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you've never ever done that, you've never ever just said, you know what God, this morning I just recognize and I admit I am a sinner, I have sinned, me. It's my fault, it's my sin, they're my mistakes, they're my failures, it's mine. And God, this morning, I just confess, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. The Bible says, if you'll confess your sins, that's your part. God's part is, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive you. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's no greater gift than to be able to walk out of this place this morning free, cleansed, uh, just light, <clears throat> you'll float out of here. <clears throat> so if you've never done that this morning, I'm gonna pray for you. Maybe you're here and you are a seasoned Christian and there's just been some things going on in your life um, and this morning you just need to confess it. You just need to get it, get it to God. Say, you know, a, a Christian sin, we do. Uh, all of us, well, well, you know, probably you've already sinned this morning or you'll do it shortly after you get out of here. Traffic, restaurant, whatever will cause that. But again, there's, we all do things that we regret. But again, we, we've got 
an agreement. We got a promise from God. That no matter how long we've been a Christian, every time we sin, man, if we will just go to him and say, God, I blew it again. I failed you. I sinned against you, God. But God, I thank you, Lord, that it is the blood of Christ that cleanses me the first time and it cleanses me every time I come and confess it to you this morning. And, and maybe you just need to, there's just some things you just need to get right with God, some things you need to get right with other people, but get it right with God first and then go and get it right with others after that. So maybe there's some, this morning there's just some things you just need to confess to God as sin. Just get it out there. And his promise of cleansing you, of forgiving you. It's just as much for you as it is for the person uh, doing that for the first time this morning. So I was gonna invite you to stand this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, that, that regardless of where we are at with you this morning, first of all, God, we recognize you are a loving you are a gracious, you are a good, you are a kind, you are a merciful God. We thank you for that. And we thank you, God, that your word says, God, that it is that goodness, it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's what opens the door. It's what brings us into your presence, God, because we, we realize you're not an angry, vindictive, vicious God who's waiting to get back at us for what we've done, but you're a good, a gracious, a loving, a patient God who longs to forgive us, to heal us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is your heart toward us this morning. And so Father God, we come this morning through the complete, the finished work of your son Jesus Christ upon the cross, when his body was broken, his blood was shed, that it was that sacrifice that satisfied your anger against sin, and it was that sacrifice that opened the way for us to come into a right relationship with you this morning. So we come in the name and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, whether we're coming for the first time or we're coming for the millionth time, we come on the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come because there is no other name given under heaven and earth by which we can call upon than the name of Jesus. And we call upon the name of Jesus this morning. And in that name and in that finished work, we confess our sin. We confess that we are sinners. We are broken. We are helpless. We are hopeless without you this morning. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that it is by your great name, by your great work that we come this morning and we confess that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, sinners in need of a Savior this morning. So again, Lord, whether we're coming for the first time, for the millionth time, God, here we are. Help us. Save us. Forgive us. Heal us. Deliver us this morning. 
And we thank you, Father, that if we'll do our part, you'll do your part, Father. We thank you for that, Lord. We love you. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the gift of his sacrifice. And this we all pray in the mighty, the beautiful, the glorious name of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.